0: This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 24th of March. And uh, I'm here with my agile, flexible, and always improving co-host, Eon.
1: Acrobatics is me. Well, as long <laughs> as I don't have to move too much anyway. Or be flexible. I'll do scrum, so. that's fine.
0: <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, so here we are again, this time talking business agility. Mm-hmm. So we've, we've talked, we've talked data ops... We've talked security ops as well, mostly. Yeah,
1: AI ops. Yeah, you've done all the ops. Do we going to do the downs now?
0: (laughs) We are with Caroline Downs. (laughs) See what I did there? (laughs) Such such seamless linking. Uh, If only I hadn't just called it out. Anyway, so yes, we're here with uh, uh, interviewed today with uh, Caroline Downs of Acelia, who's uh, an agile coach. She's going to talk us through the journey of. Continuing our improvement. And Are you ready to dive in? Uh, we can
1: always improve more, I think. So, yeah, let's uh, let's uh, have Caroline do all the talking and instruct us on how get how we can get a better, agile, flexible podcast. Sounds
0: good. So, welcome to our special guest. This time, it's Caroline Downs from Estelia, uh, and here today to talk to us about. Agile, lean, coaching, mentoring, and all things. Welcome, Caroline.
2: Thank you. Good to be here.
0: <laughs> so, I mean, tell us, tell us a little bit about you. How did you, uh, you know, what is what is all things that you do with regards to agile coaching and mentoring?
2: Okay. Um, so, what do I do? A little bit about me. So, my background is uh, I was a software engineer a long, long time ago. Um, in a galaxy far, far away, um, and I kind of fell into agile coaching. I guess um, I'd mm-hmm. worked in software teams that were that were doing were doing Scrum, and I used the word "doing Scrum" rather than being agile uh, purposefully, um, mm-hmm. and and probably doing it quite badly. Um, but I learned a lot from from that experience of of how things should not be done. Um, and then I, I kind of got into uh, consulting, which is different, and and I can talk about the differences there between con- consulting and coaching. Um, but then that slowly developed into into just coaching teams. So um, the consultancy that I worked for put me in as an agile coach into a couple of engagements, and and uh, from then I really kind of t- took off on my own. So I left that consultancy, set up my own organisation to to do. Actually, do agile coaching and not consultancy specifically. Um, And here I am now.
0: Brilliant. So, I mean, I guess the first question is, what What is an agile coach? I'm guessing it's not all about yoga and balancing.
2: (laughs) No, it's not. It's it's not. Although I can do that as well. Oh, there you
0: go.
2: So, agile. So, first of all, I guess that brings us into kind of kind of what is agile. Um, Yeah. So. Agile was uh, developed by a, a group of people who wanted a different way of doing software development, um, and the group of people that that kind of came together to have this discussion. They were people who'd come up with various different, more lightweight approaches, moving away from the old standard waterfall sequential way of developing software, you know, where you do all of the requirements up first and then you end up with a big requirements document. You get that signed off and then you hand it over to the designers who do all of the design work and then they hand it over to the coders to code it. Then the testers test it and they go, you know what, none of this works or the customer goes, that isn't what I wanted. Um, And it all fails completely. And these are big software delivery projects that can take, you know, months and months and sometimes years and years. And at the end of it, the customer ends up with something that they didn't actually want. So the idea was to bring in some more lightweight approaches to doing that that allowed people to really focus on delivering the right thing. But because all these people were coming up with different ways of doing it, what they decided to do was come together and say, can we come up with a core set of values that really sits behind what it is we're trying to achieve? Um, So they came up with something that's called the Agile Manifesto. And the Agile Manifesto exists. um, It it basically has four values associated with what we're trying to achieve. Um, And then behind it, there's there's 12 principles, which are, are really just I guess more detailed views of what of what the uh, values are, and the values go as as follows. Uh, it starts with a, a sentence that says, "We are uncovering better ways of developing software by doing it and helping others to do it." And through this work, we have come to value individuals and interactions over processes and tools, working software over comprehensive documentation, customer collaboration over contract negotiation, and responding to change over following a plan. So, really, the the thing behind agile is to focus on the customer and focus on to get and getting value into the hands of the customer as early as possible Um, so there are a lot of practices and tools and processes and approaches that sit underneath the agile umbrella so the job of an agile coach is really to to go into organizations or to work with individuals or wherever they're engaged to help the organization or the people or the teams embrace those agile values and turn around the way they work and change the way they work to achieve benefits and improvements and agile coaching is a combination of of things so we do a little bit of professional coaching so that might be called non-directive coaching where we Mm. work with people and just help them discover their own solutions we do a bit of teaching so we might run training courses we do a bit of mentoring where we work with people and actually give them suggestions or suggest ways they might try to do things, which is certainly different from coaching. And we'll do some facilitating so we can actually go in and, and work with teams and facilitate meetings or sessions that teams have so that they get more effective output from, from those um, from those meetings. So it's a collection of different things. It's not just coaching. When you say agile coaching, it really is a combination mm. of coaching, teaching, mentoring and facilitating
0: so you, you mentioned um, a couple of things there touching on different methods of support, but earlier you talked about consulting being something that's you know very different to that again so what's what's the delta there
2: so <laughs> I actually think so. My personal opinion of that is I think it comes down to the person, the individual who's doing the consulting or coaching. But you look at kind of standard consulting. The expectation is a consultant will go in and solve your problems for you. That's the expectation of a consultant. From a coach, you're not there to solve their problems for them, you're there to help them solve their own problems. And that's the subtle difference. So you may have a consultant that comes in and the consultant will say, right, this is what you're going to do, and this will solve all your problems. And then that consultant will go away, and then you're kind of on your own. Um, And if that solution doesn't work, then you have to bring that consultant back in again and explore what's their next suggestion if you engage a coach, a coach is going to come in and explore what is it you're trying to achieve and help you find your own way forward and your own solutions and leave you with the tools and skills and capabilities to carry that forward. So really the job of a coach is to almost make themselves redundant because what we want as a coach is to make you not need us anymore. So that that is the subtle difference. Now, the reason I said it comes down to the individual is – I think when I was a consultant, I was behaving more in a coaching way, whereas mm. I was working with other consultants that definitely weren't coaches and they were definitely being pure consultants that were just, I'm going to give them the answers, then I'm going to go away and wait for them to call again. So so I think yeah. it depends a little bit on, on kind of how you approach working with your particular client or customer, but there is, there is a distinct difference between what you'd expect from a consultant and what you'd expect from a coach
0: yeah yeah okay so I, you touched very briefly earlier on the fact that you know agile from a, a software methodology is one thing but also you've got you know concepts like business agility as well so mm-hmm. you know how how has the how's that evolved over time
2: so i guess agile was um came up as a concept to solve a specific issue at the time Mm -hmm. so software projects were generally not particularly successful um and there needed to be a different way of approaching how we did that and the the evolution of that has been okay so we kind of solved that problem but if you think about what agile is trying to do it's all about can we get a solution or software into the hands of the customer earlier so that they can start a using it and giving us feedback and b get some return on investment whilst we continue to develop the next bit of value that we're going to add into that software so it's very much about delivering the solution incrementally so the customer can start getting value from it much much earlier and then continue to grow the value that they get but then if you think about the way agile works initially it was all focused around software teams and how software teams operate but software eventually has to go into production in order for it to be of any value because if it just sits on the shelf and it never gets up into production then we're not achieving the ultimate value so if that software isn't getting into production, we're not getting the benefits of agility. So then there was another kind of evolution that sort of went, okay, well, we should probably look at bringing development and operations together. And that was called DevOps. So Uh I see DevOps was kind of the next evolution of Agile to really say, okay, so we've taken it up to the point where the software is finished. Now we need to take it up to the point where the software is in the hand of the customer and being used and supported in production. So we need to bring those two elements together so we can speed up that cycle so that we're not stuck at the deployment stage. We're speeding up the cycle right up to the end where it's being used by the customer. But with business agility, then there was another evolution where people started talking about, okay, so we're working with the customer and, and businesses have got, you know, we've, we've got product owners that we're working with. So we're working very closely with our, with our customer to make sure we're delivering the right thing. But in order for a solution to have real value there's lots of other things that need to happen around the business. So um, for instance, there's business change. So if we're putting a new solution in place, the business needs to be trained on wh- what that solution is gonna do to say their business processes, and maybe some business processes need to change in order to get the real value from that. Um, there are elements that are sitting around the teams that are delivering these solutions, um, such as HR and facilities, etc., that will facilitate them being able to get the value into the hands of the customer earlier. If you've got a software team that are working in an agile way and they're they're operating in a in a DevOps environment, so they've got yeah. you know speedy cycle time, they're getting uh, value out into production really really quickly, but actually they keep hitting problems in the wider organisation because of certain governance in the organisation, the way HR operates with them, the way facilities operating, being able to get stuff um, that they need in order to do their job, suddenly agile steps out of the realm of just it and software delivery and starts to reach out into the rest of the organization having to change to enable those benefits to be achieved so that's where business agility comes in we're actually talking about the wider organization becoming more agile um, and really starting to be able to adapt on a wider basis to to market changes so they'd be able to respond rapidly and flexibly to customer demands, not just doing that within the IT area, but in the wider business. So, so business agility is really agile, reaching out beyond where it was originally conceived, and moving yeah. into the wider business.
0: So, I mean, it, it's pretty clear. I think that um, you know the world is moving faster and faster. People are needing to react to stuff um, mm-hmm. ever quicker. So that completely makes sense, but what you know, what should the the goals of an organization that is looking to become more agile, you know, what should their initial goals be?
2: That's a really great question because it's really important that they've got their outcomes that they want to achieve. And um, let me try and word that a bit better. One of the problems that I've come across when I've worked in organizations um, before is when I've asked them what they want, they say, well, we want to be agile. <laughs> and my answer to them is, no, you don't. There are things yeah. you want to achieve and being agile will help you achieve them. But you have to understand why you're doing this. What are the outcomes you want to achieve? Because until you've until they set their outcomes, we can go in and we can make um, changes, they can change the way they work, um, they can introduce different processes and practices, they can start to change their mindset and culture, which is the most important thing to change. But unless they understand the outcome they're trying to achieve from that, they're never gonna know whether they've it's the right thing or whether they're doing it in the right way or whether it's, it's getting them anywhere. So when you say what what should their goals be, their goals should be what their goals are if that makes any sense yeah. so they need to understand as an organization where do we want to go what are our challenges that we want to make changes to you know is it that we want to be able to react to our customers and um, customer needs faster is it that we want to be able to react to our customers needs um and help our customers understand their needs. Is that one of our problems? Is it just that we wanna be more responsive? Is it that we want our systems to be more stable because we've got a lot of problems there? Is it that we want to be more efficient? So are our costs spiraling compared to the value that we're delivering? There are lots of different things that may drive an organization to say, let's look at our business agility, Um, but they need to understand what those drivers are so that we can be sure that the things that they're putting in place and the changes they're making are actually achieving those ultimate
1: goals. So the the, the reactions I often witness in the the field where People see things aren't working, so let, let, let's do that agile thing that'll solve everything. That's not exactly mm-hmm. how it works, then.
2: No, no, and and what you'll hear often is, um, um, oh, they, this is all going wrong. Let let's do agile. Mm-hmm. Let's do Scrum. <laughs> Scrum will fix everything. Um, uh, and the key word there is they use the word "do." So we're yeah. doing Scrum. Uh, we're doing agile and and it's two very different things and and that's why earlier on I mentioned mindset and culture because with an organization you can adopt as many different new tools and processes and practices as you want but you've got to look at the bigger picture and you've really got to focus on being more agile and increasing your business agility in order to achieve those outcomes, not just throwing some quick fixes in, which may get you to to a certain point, but eventually you're gonna hit a glass ceiling if you just start throwing Scrum in, for instance. And I'm not bashing Scrum, Um, I'm not a Scrum basher. I actually really like Scrum and I think it's got some, some real value to putting it in place but you can't just do one thing and think it's going to lead to the change that you're looking for.
1: Yeah. The the, the next reaction that I often see happening then is uh, when the, we do scrum or agile doesn't work. Okay. We'll do our version of agile and scrum Mm -hmm. because that will solve the problems.
2: Yeah. And, and, and what that often means is we're going to basically regress back to the way we were working, but we're just going to give it another title. Um, and there's nothing wrong with doing some tailoring. So, again, Agile isn't a one-size-fits-all. There isn't one answer with, with Agile. As there's a so massive variety of different frameworks and approaches mm-hmm. that you can put in place. There's masses of different tooling. But ultimately, the, the key change, as I think I've said three three times now is repeating myself, is is the mindset and culture piece. How are you going to change the culture of your organisation? And and because Often what we try and do, especially with big organisations, you know, big banks, um, big organisations that have been around for a long time, they've got a weight of of governance. They've got a lot of baggage that comes with them. So they've got all this traditional governance, traditional approaches, traditional organisation structure that's really, really embedded. And when you try to change the way you work within the confines of those existing traditional restrictions, it, it just doesn't work. The two things really, really clash. So it's a it's a bigger change to really make any kind of transformation have a have the desired effect. So it's OK to say, mm, is this working for us? It doesn't seem to be quite working at the moment. What can we alter? Um, but that doesn't mean basically regressing back to the way you were, because it's easier to do that within the confines of what of your current structures. Um, rather than saying, well, okay, maybe we actually need to look at changing our, our current structures, which is hard, really hard. But that's probably going to be the thing that gets you the most return.
1: Yeah, I think that you can't repeat it enough that culture and mindset are so important. I used to work at Microsoft, and I mean, if one company has really changed the way they work and feel and project themselves in the world, I guess Microsoft is a good example there. And mm-hmm. while I was there for the last four years, I uh, they had this thing called Growth Mindset, which was a program they pushed down everybody's throat to make it, to mm-hmm. make it sound very unrespectful. <laughs> but it actually <laughs> did work because it was, as you said, it was not looking at making new tools. And, okay, tools were involved and were facilitating it. But it was much more talking about thinking differently, going about things differently, not having the blame game going on all the time, that kind of things. And that, mm-hmm. I think that made a big change, not because they were using tool XYZ.
2: Y- yeah so there's something called um the the agile onion <laughs> um, oh. which is um, <laughs> i think was developed by a guy called guy called Simon Powers and I apologize if I, if I've got the the name wrong there or the where it came from wrong um so the agile onion um, it's going to be difficult to describe but it's a series of, of kind of concentric circles um, smaller and growing within within a, a wider circle and the idea is is what it's trying to call out is the smallest circle right at the bottom is the is the tools and then the next circle above it is kind of your processes and practices and the, the circles get bigger as they grow up through principles values, and then mindset and culture. And the idea with that is is it's trying to illustrate that the tools will get you some change But not a great deal, but they're very, very visible. The same with the practices. If you introduce new practices, that's incredibly visible. Everybody can see straight away when somebody's introduced Scrum across an IT department because all of a sudden there's loads of whiteboards everywhere with post it notes all over them. (laughs) And every now and then through the day, suddenly groups of people stand in front of one of these boards and have a short conversation. So you can stand in the middle of the room and say, I can see that they've changed their processes and they've changed their practices because I can. See Scrum happening. It's the same mm-hmm. with tools. You can see when suddenly everybody's sitting in front of a Jira board, so you can mm-hmm. see that that's happening. Very very visible. But the the um, impact of that change is minimal. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you go all the way up to mindset change, that's not visible at all. You don't see mindset change. It's more something that you feel organically within the organisation. But. It's the thing that's going to get the most bang for buck when you're making a transformation. If you get people to change their mindset, you will see massive improvements and changes and massive steps towards achieving those outcomes. But again, the tools and practices, that's the easy bit. That's the quick bit as well, which is why it's what people focus on first. Most people, when they say we want to move to Agile, they'll say, well, let's get Jira um, and let's adopt Scrum. And it's really easy to do that, but it's not easy to do it well, because Mm -hmm. if you want to do it well, you've got to bring in the values and mindset
1: changes at
2: the same time.
1: Yeah, but doesn't also give it a a bit of a push to start, because talking about this whole Agile Scrum way of working, we're actually talking to developers, software engineers, who are very good in the, I think it's called hard skills, and sometimes less good in the soft skills. When you're talking about changing Mm -hmm. mindset, that's so untenable and graspable, Some wishy-washy, whatever, pie-in-the-sky thing. an engineer, I like the tools I want to see. I want something concrete. And what I have seen at Microsoft as well is that for those people, having new tool sets happening is kind of helping them along the way to see something different concrete, making them think differently as well. So even though I totally agree with you that the actual effectiveness of tools and processes is very limited depending on how they're used, it does kind of help people be willing to do something different, to, to to do a change by just having a different color spreadsheet in front of them to make it very uh, simple.
2: <laughs> I, I completely agree, and, and it's definitely a stepping stone um, because if you if you. Decide we're going to change. Oh, and you go. That's it. We're going to change our mindset and culture. I mean, where do you start? There's, there's no, there's no clear approach to doing that. But yeah, getting those, getting those new practices in place and just changing what people are doing day to day will start to seed that mindset change. The danger is if that mindset change starts to be seeded down at the, the kind of the team level. If that mindset change then isn't spread wider across the organisation those teams will very very quickly start to hit against the constraints of the organisation and then that can lead that can lead to demotivation because people suddenly go you know what we've changed we've changed what we're doing we can see what we're trying to achieve and i keep hitting the governance process is stopping me doing stuff mm-hmm. hr keep getting in the way when i try to order a new whiteboard for our session it's taking six months when i want a new environment stud up because we haven't automated our environments that takes ages to order and i have to jump through loads of hoops to get it done and that can be quite draining for people who are already trying to change yeah. so i think getting the tools and practices in absolutely get that as a stepping stone to really start to change but then you've very very quickly got to start looking at what the constraints of the organization are and how you're going to get that mindset and culture change to spread across the the wider elements
0: so i mean given how important mindset and culture is beyond almost everything else How, I mean, how can you track or understand whether that is happening? You know, how, how do you, I mean, you say it's something that you feel, but obviously, one of the one of the most important things here is to be able to almost to report on something that's so intangible. So how, how can you show people that things are changing?
2: Um, I mean, there's a there's a couple of things that you can do. So you can't really you can't measure mindset,
0: <laughs> and, yeah. it, and it's very
2: difficult to measure culture. I mean, the, there are um, subjective ways of measuring it. So you can do, um, you know, staff happiness surveys for instance the if if the mindset and culture is changing then what you'll generally have is a a more empowered workforce a more motivated workforce you know what what motivates us um you know and and all of the the um the theory behind that so you can get a you can get a feel for it by doing those kind of Questionnaires, mm-hmm. surveys, even even just gathering people into a room and doing a quick show of hands, you know, fist of five, how, how happy is everybody? Just getting that that tangible feedback from people as to how they they feel as to as to how things are in the organisation is valuable. But the other thing, I guess, the more the more objective measurements is is again comes back to those outcomes. If you've set what you want to achieve as an organisation and you make those outcomes measurable. You can measure progress towards those outcomes. What I like to do is having almost two types of metrics, having the softer, more squidgy metrics and then the harder, more more objective metrics. So if you're trying to increase um, or decrease decrease decrease. uh, the time from idea to value, for instance, mm. so from the time that you have an idea for a for a new um, functional feature to the time where it's actually in the hands of the customer or the business and it's being used. You can absolutely measure that. That's a hard metric. You can get clear numbers on that. So you can make you can set hard metrics like that that you can track. But alongside it, I think it's important to use. Um, and there are tools where you can do this. So um, there's a, there's an agility health tool that I'm quite a big fan of. It's a, it's an industry tool um, where you can get a, a pulse check for for teams and for the for the the enterprise wider enterprise in terms of culturally how's it doing. Um, it's very subjective. There's no exact scientists to it. Yeah. But if you can use those two measures together, you know we're improving on our hard metrics. Our cycle time is reduced. We're getting idea. We're getting value in the hands of the customers quicker. If that's also going along with that subjective measure rising, and you can see that actually you're getting good feedback on the culture, you're getting good reports on uh, team happiness um, and how people are feeling. If you can correlate the two, then you can generally get a fairly good feel that your culture and and mindset is starting to change in the organisation and it's having the desired effect. If you're achieving all your hard metrics and they're doing really, really well, but the feedback is that everybody's as miserable as anything, (laughs) <laughs> then you know you've got a problem, and maybe there's another reason why you're achieving your your harder metrics. Maybe it's just because you're whipping the hell out of everybody and making them really unhappy, and you haven't got a sustainable pace there. So you need to do something about it because clearly your culture isn't changing. In conversely, if everybody's really really happy, but actually you're delivering nothing, mm-hmm. then then you've got another problem, <laughs> and you need to so it, you need to get that balance right. I don't yeah. know whether that answered the question. <laughs>
0: Yeah. No, I think so. I think so. I mean, the, the, there's um, a phrase from current CEO that is uh, culture is not something that you can put on a slide deck, which is is one of the uh, the, the most uh, kind of obvious points around this. It is very difficult to to measure, and in fact, by almost by trying to quantify it, you know that that's that in itself is is not. Um, it's not really the approach that you want for culture. You, as you say, you want it to be something that is you know felt and understood, and you know you want to see it reflected in people's behaviours.
2: Yeah, exactly. Exactly, and if you try if you try to measure it, you're likely sometimes measurement equals bad behaviour. So people can game measures. mm -hmm. So so you might start getting false reports if you start asking people how happy are you, um, and there people know that that's going to be put up on slide decks and discussed, and they're going to be whipped if they're not happy enough. Then (laughs) people are going to say they're happy even if they're not. So you've got to be really careful about how you ask those kind of questions.
1: Yeah, it's actually quite enlightening because I never thought of it on the on the flip side. I mean, I always see Nigel as a more or get more productivity out of my developers, get better software out, less bugs, stuff like that. But the flip side of having a better internal atmosphere, basically, and that that never rang to me. That's uh, that's a great one.
2: Yeah, because if if you've got a better internal atmosphere and you've got true empowerment, Mm -hmm. which is difficult to get, then that's where you've got people Mm -hmm. who generally wouldn't have the opportunity to come up with new creative ideas of how the organisation can change. If you've got an organisation where... Joe blogs on the on the shop floor can come up with an idea that can effectively have a a massively positive impact on the organisation and they get listened to. Then you've made a real change to the culture of your organisation because generally changes come from top down. But if you've flipped it so that the people on the ground can have these new ideas and and have some way of making those ideas heard and potentially actioned. Then that's incredibly motivating to the people in the organisation.
1: It's also a self-reinforcing feedback loop kind of system going on, right? Because people are getting more mm-hmm. en- enthusiastic about what
0: they're doing. They're going to do a better job. And Yeah, yeah I like it. <laughs> never, never thought of it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so you, you mentioned uh, you mentioned earlier when we were when we were talking about mindset and culture that you know sometimes if if you seed things within teams. But you don't change, um, you know, the, the rest of the organisation moving upwards. Then people can feel that they're, you know, that what they do doesn't matter, or they keep hitting the, you know, the ceilings and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas, obviously, you know, you also don't want things to be just top down and, di- you know, dictating to people how things are going to be because that doesn't work out. So, how do you? How do you try and effectively see change across an organisation? How do you try and touch as many of the levels as possible?
2: Yeah, I mean, it's a difficult one. Um, So one of the things that you can do is is form, um, I guess, form change agent groups. So if you can get people who are... um, um enthusiastic about the change um Mm. and and get them to come together at all different levels um and almost form those little communities of practice um but at the different levels so that they can start to seed and affect the change across their level that that will filter down so um I guess, you know, if you've got the teams are making changes on the the ground and they're they're adopting different practices. If you look at something like um, HR, for instance, I keep mentioning them so they can sometimes get left out of this change. They're just they're just there to look after people. But actually, a lot of the processes and policies that come from HR can either be incredibly restrictive to um, an agile change or they can be incredibly um, empowering and they can help. Um, an organization so if you then form a little coalition within kind of your hr area to start to look at how their processes affect the organization and help them start to make changes then that that can start to see that in that area and again looking at leadership so how leadership work together is looking at some of the higher level leadership teams again just looking at how do they operate and how is what they're doing affecting what's happening lower down in the organisation and start to talk to them about what changes could they bring in? It's all about making sure that your focus isn't just in one area, looking across the whole organisation and making sure you've got pockets of people within all the areas of an organisation, even if it's a massive organisation that are looking at how they can um, contribute to the outcomes the organisation is trying to achieve. And again, it comes back to those outcomes. So if they're agreed and that and we've got an organisation that buys into what it's trying to achieve, as long as everybody is trying to make changes that will positively affect those outcomes, then that's going to grow the organisation across the piece.
0: Yeah. So you mentioned huge organizations there. I mean, do, do you need to be a huge huge organization to start adopting some of these practices? You do you need to be a Fortune one hundred with, you know, ten thousand developers? Or can a small, you know, five person dev team see see the benefits of this, these approaches?
2: Absolutely they can. I, I... The interesting experience that I've had is when I've spoken to small organisations, I'm really small organisations, you know, they might be five, six, seven people. They haven't formally gone, we're going to adopt agile. Um, We're Mm. going to adopt agile practices. But when I talk to them about what they do, actually, they're incredibly agile because they almost have to be, you know, because they're small. They've already got a small team. That are working very collaboratively together they're not bogged down with lots of governance and hierarchy if you've got a, a team of seven people who are setting up <laughs> a, doing a startup they're not going to have yeah. one of them sat at the top going well i'm the ceo i'm never going to speak to anybody else they they've they're already all working together so actually from a business agility perspective these smaller startups are incredibly agile even if they're not formally practicing They probably are actually doing the most of the practices and they have actually probably got the mindset and culture already. The danger is as these organisations start to grow, they think, "Hmm, you know what, we're going to we should put some formality around our governance and we should really have a proper org structure and they start to put in the very elements that some of the really big organizations are trying to get rid of now. Some of the bigger organizations are looking at their hierarchical org structures and looking at their heavyweight governance and going, you know what, we need, we need to get rid of this. We need to be operating like a more small startup, whereas a small startup, as it starts to grow, is going, you know what, we need some more governance and an org structure. So it's it's really frustrating that <laughs> what we really need is organizations as they grow to maintain the, the core values that they started out with and to see how they can grow while still having those core values in place. Because otherwise they're gonna go down the path of the bigger organization and then end up having to do a big transformation or change to try and get back to what they once were. Um, yeah. So this absolutely works across small and large. The danger is that the small are generally doing it anyway um, yeah. and are likely to lose that as they grow if they're not really careful about it.
0: Yeah, one of life's great ironies, I think, it, it's disturbing how often you see through startups evolving, they, they lose the very thing that made them cool, interesting, you know, great places to work in the first place.
2: Yeah, yeah, exactly,
1: exactly.
0: And that's it for
1: part one of this, uh, I think, really interesting talk with Caroline. Uh, we had yep. way too much uh, discussion going on to put it all in one episode. And I'll, I know if a podcast gets longer than a half an hour, people start tuning out. So we cut them in two so we get all the goodness fresh in the minds of fresh people. Does that make sense? Indeed,
0: <laughs> um, I mean, mostly, kind <laughs> ah. of, but you know, continually improving your uh, your linking of episodes. So we'll work on that. Mm. But no, I think it was it was a great discussion. Really enjoyed it so far, and uh, looking forward to part two.
1: Yeah, big thank you to Caroline for spending time with us, and as I said, look forward to part two in a couple of weeks after the intervening news episode, of course. Uh, anything else from you? I think that's all for me. Then that's all the time we have for today. You can support this Agile podcast by becoming a patron. Every contribution helps. We're on YouTube. You can like, subscribe, ring the notification bell, do YouTube stuff, make Dave happy. You can go to www.roaringelephant.org for a link to our patron page and more information about the podcast in general. You can follow me on Twitter at using the atro- uh, at roaring elephant tag. I still need to get used to <laughs> moving from <laughs> at hadoopcast <laughs> but we'll get there. We're improving. See? And you can send your feedback by email to podcast at If you want to send any feedback back to Caroline, you can use this email address as well. We will make sure to send it on. Until next time, my name is Ever Improving Jon.
0: And my name's Dave. Dave. See what's missing there.
1: But we'll look forward to talking to you the next week anyway. I'm
0: going to improve it next outro, you see. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Goodbye. See you then.